If you have not already left, little ones, you can head off to Children's Church. There they go. They are off. We are turning in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 14. And we're going to be reading the first 11 verses of Ezekiel chapter 14 today as we continue our study in the book and with the prophet of Ezekiel. And as you are standing, let us read God's word together. And the God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 14, and he says these words. Then some elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put, uh, put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols, in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are estranged from me through all their idols." Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me, sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself, I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person. I will set my face against the man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from among the people so that you will know that I am the Lord. For the prophet is prevailed upon to speak a word. It is I, the Lord, who have prevailed upon the prophet. And I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among my people Israel. They will bear the punishment of their iniquity as the iniquity of the inquirer is. So the iniquity of the prophet will also be in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions. Thus, they will be my people and I shall be their God, declares the Lord God. Please be seated. What is important and really meaningful in life? Think about that question for just a moment. What is important and what is really meaningful in life? Now, I understand that I am asking that question in a very particular context, even if you maybe don't necessarily realize that. You have to, we have to acknowledge the reality. You're in church right now. In fact, you are in church on a Sunday morning during a worship service, and I am asking you this as the preacher on the stage to you. While some of you might know me in different ways, some of you might know me as a friend, some of you might know me as a camp director, some of you might know me as when I was a, a youth guy or, or just know me in, 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 as, my, uh, as your dad or your husband or whatever it most, must be, all of you at this moment in time are probably looking at me as the pastor. 
And so when a pastor asks you on a Sunday morning, in a service, during worship, from the stage, what is most important and really meaningful in life, or maybe specifically in your life, you are undoubtedly going to lead to some answer about God. If I said what is really important and what is really meaningful in your life, you're going to say something about God, His glory, the Great Commission, or the Greatest Commandments. Because we know that those are the right answers to give in this particular context. You, I, hopefully you will admit that and you know that that's true. But what if we were somewhere else? And what if it was someone else asking you that very same question? Imagine for just a moment if your fitness instructor at the gym asked you what is most important and really meaningful in your life. For those of you who think to yourselves right now, never in my life have I had a fitness instructor, nor do I have any desire to go to a gym. What if it was your child asking you that question for a class project? Or a politician at your door campaigning? Or what if it was your mother sitting with you around the dinner table and they were to ask you, what is most important and really meaningful in your life? Would your answer be different? Would suddenly that answer about God and the Great Commission and, and His glory and all those things, would suddenly that change from loving Jesus to maybe your kids, family, your career, your education, your health, or, or maybe just something more abstract like peace of mind, feeling safe and secure. I think if we were honest with ourselves and I would lump myself into this category, the answer is probably. In fact, we may even be able to go back into our lives and maybe as a newly married couple or as a college student still trying to figure out life or a tech school student still trying to launch your career and someone asked you, what is the most important thing in your life right now? You might have said getting school done, graduating high school, starting a family making sure that everybody in my family is provided for and safe. And these are all wonderful, noble things. But in certain places and at certain times, we would have to acknowledge the reality that if we ask, is this the most important and meaningful thing in your life? We would probably say, yeah, it is. But why? Why would whatever is the most important and meaningful thing in my life from situation to situation. Do you ever wonder that? I know we do it. I do it. I guarantee you, every high school student in this room has at some point in their life asked, if they got asked in their first period, what's the most important thing in your life? They'd say sleep. And if you asked them in fifth period, what's the most important thing in your life? They'd say food. And in the evening when they said, hey, what's the most important thing in your life while they're doing their homework? They'd say graduating. It changes. But why? And I think the answer to that question is really the same answer that we see with our elders in Israel in our passage today. The thing that, that created the response that God had towards these elders when they came to inquire of the Lord. 
And the answer is this, and I want you to kind of pick this up right off the bat. Our hearts are divided. And there are times in our, there are parts of our heart that we have given to the Lord. But if we are really honest with ourselves, there are still parts of our heart that belong to something else and that something is in this world. And that's what we see from these, these elders in Israel, and that's what God is responding to in this passage. It's in an extreme way, but I want you to notice this. See, the first part of the, these elders in Israel that has caused this response from God is part of their heart definitely belongs to the Lord. Please understand the elders of Israel did not go to Ezekiel or really any, any prophet, Jeremiah or one of the nameless ones that may have been around at that time, thinking that this was all a bunch of religious baloney. They were there, and they were there for a reason. They were hoping for something. In fact, I think something specific. They actually believed that the Lord was God and that they could receive a word from the Lord if they went to see the prophet. And so in this way and in this regard, there was part of their heart that really believed in Yahweh. And that someone like Ezekiel was really, in fact, a prophet of Yahweh and therefore was someone that they should and could listen to. We, like them, give a portion of our heart to God for a lot of good reasons. The first of those reasons is we believe it's true. And that's a good thing, right? We actually believe that, that what the gospel says and what scripture says is true. The elders clearly believed that something good could come from this conversation. And so they had gone to the prophets of God. They had gone to Ezekiel and they said, God, they said, would you please inquire of the Lord of what we are to do? What should be going on? They actually believed in the Lord. We do that too. Make no mistake. We believe, I'm not accusing, even if we have a divided heart, I'm not accusing anyone here of saying, well, you're, you're a fake Christian. I'm not saying that at all. We look at creation and we see God in the midst of all that. We recognize God as our creator. Psalm 19.1 says that heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the works of his hands. We look at the scriptures and we find meaning and purpose. We know that within the, the pages of these Bibles, we can know who God is and begin to understand who we are. Psalm 119 verse 160 says this, the entirety of your word is truth. And each of your righteous judgments endures forever. We believe and we do all this because we actually know and believe and hope that Jesus is the Son of God. That the gospel is true. That God is there and that the Holy Spirit is still working in the world today. And that's great. That is good. We're supposed to believe that. We're even supposed to encourage other people to believe that and to see more people come into this belief. And for that reason, at some point in your life, you heard the good news of the gospel, Lord willing. You surrendered your life to Christ. And at the very least, you gave God a piece of your heart. Now, not every reason is as good as that one. Because I think one of the other reasons we give a piece of our heart to God and not our entire heart to God is because we also kind of like our traditions. 
We enjoy the, the comfort that comes with doing what we've always done and enjoying the traditions that we grew up with and that we, we shared with our parents and our siblings and our grandparents and our children even today. I think there was some also truth to the fact that the elders were continuing to go to the prophet of the Lord because it was kind of expected of them. That was just something you did. And as a leader in the, this was, remember, these were the exiled elders of, of Israel. They were living in Babylon, but still inquiring of the Lord from this prophet that was among them in exile. And they knew that, that they needed to be seen going to the prophet on a regular basis. You ever think about that? We don't get that necessarily from the passage, but it stands to reason by the way God speaks of them and what, the way it's defined that this was an ongoing reality. And it probably wasn't that the prophets went to, that the uh, elders went to the prophet over and over and over again, but rather just on a, re like every day, but just on a regular basis would go and inquire of the Lord. Hey, what's going on? How are we doing? Do we think we're going to get to go home soon? Is everything going to turn out okay? And they wanted the people around them to see that that's what they were doing. It's not necessarily that they didn't believe but they were concerned about how it looked. They were concerned about things like tradition and community, maybe even more so than conviction and faithfulness. In other words, they followed God, but only out of a sense of duty and not necessarily out of a sense of love. I also think that there are many of us today that do this as well. We go to church, we read our Bibles, we have our Christian slogans on our cars or on our Facebook page because we want to be identified with that kind of people. And we want to maintain the traditions that we maybe cherished when we were younger. Hosea 6.6 6 says this, it says, For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And so already we're starting to see that even though a portion of our heart is, is going towards God, maybe the reason why that is may not be entirely born out of our love for who God is, but out of our love for kind of what God might give us. But this often leads us into the temptation to also give a portion of our heart to something else. Now that something could be anything. And often it is seen more in our actions and our priorities and our finances than in our words. You may ask, be asked, and especially in this context where we are today, or maybe even somewhere else if you're a little bit more in tune or prepared for it, someone may ask you the question, have you given your life to Jesus? And if you are a follower of Christ, you're probably going to say, yes. And you'll say, well, have you given him your whole heart? And you're going to go, yes, I'm a Christian. But one of the questions we actually asked in a, in a spiritual survey I was giving out earlier this week was, how can the people around you tell that you've given your life to Jesus? And a lot of people went, uh. And that's, guys, that's universal. We're all that way. But often when we start to look at how we actually spend our days, where our money goes, where our time goes, what goes higher 
on the I need to get this done than other things, it starts to be revealed. Here's a test for you. If you're a parent in this room, ask your kid. Ask your kid, what do you think is the most important thing in my life? If they're an adult, text them. Hey, I got a question for you. Wait till tomorrow so they don't know it's a church answer. What do you think is the most important thing in my life? If you're a kid, ask your parent. Or maybe ask your best friend. Get to school tomorrow, and as you're kind of sitting there, maybe eating, eating breakfast before classes start, go, hey, you know me. What would you say is the most important thing in my life? What will they say? If they say, Jesus, good job. But if they say something else, you might be surprised. But don't be discouraged. God's not done with you. The Lord accuses the elders of having idols in their heart. And, and, and he, did, he, he constantly pairs it together. He says, you have, you have your idols are in your heart and these stumbling blocks have been put right before your eyes. Now, we don't really know what they were worshiping, but there was probably, when he says it that way, it is really more than maybe what we might say about idols in your heart now, where there's just things in your life that, that take precedent over, over your relationship with the Lord. These people probably really were worshiping idols. And they were, they were really going to and doing certain things that, that, that facilitated idolatry and idol worship. They had shrines in their homes, and they were acting in such a way that they, in their homes and in their daily lives that hinted towards the worship of idols and really even their assimilation to the Babylonian way of life. They were starting to act like the Babylonians. They were starting to talk like the Babylonians. They were starting to keep their traditions and their holidays, all of which included this idea of worship of their gods. They might have picked up certain prayers or behaviors, doing certain things in hope that it might influence the gods of Babylon to act in a way that benefited them. This asks the question, and really we see it answered already, is why would you do this? Why would we do this? Why would we, who in theory know who God is and know what God has done, why would we begin to look to other places to find our hope and meaning and purpose? Why do that? I think the first reason why, and I think it's a reason for Israel, is because it gives them something they want. See, the people of Israel throughout history, they, they always began to run to foreign gods because they thought that the foreign gods would give them something they wanted. It would give them a fruitful harvest. It would give them lots of children. It would give them something that would help them to feel good or satisfied in this life. And so they would pursue after other gods. This might also include comfort, being well-liked, making life as enjoyable as possible, this may have included power, influence, or control, the ability to kind of take care of themselves, be independent, maybe even do what they needed to do to get back to Israel. This might have even included peace of mind or security so that we know that we are in a good place. All of these things that would have tempted and led Israel to pursue another God, to give a portion of their heart to something or anything else, these idols of their heart are the exact same things that lead us to stray from God as well. 
We will buy into things like the American dream or a political party. And we will suddenly begin to put our priorities and our heart into other things that are not God because we think that those things will take care of us. Every year, thousands if not millions of high school seniors graduate from high school going off to college. And as they go off to the college and the university, they take their faith and they hang it on a hook. And they'll decide in four years whether they're going to pick up that faith again and begin to walk with the Lord. And I think one of the reasons why they do so is because at that point in time, faith is good, but getting an education is far more important. Because I need that education to get a good job, to have a career, to make money, to retire with, with comfort and, and security. That is us giving a portion of our heart to something that is not God in hopes that it will give us something that we want. Jesus himself warns us against these things when he said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? See, that's the temptation to give part of our heart to something else, is that we hope that we will gain some profit from that. But the danger is, is as we hang up our faith and put it on a hook, we may never pick it back up. And whether that faith was real or not, I do not know. But we do know from Jesus' own own words that we will give up eternity for something that is like dust in our hands. Not only do we give a portion of our heart to other things, to the other idols of this world, because they give us something that we want, they offer us something that we want, but also because it is just an easier path. Let's be honest, for just a moment, salvation is certainly simple and easy, and to place your hope and trust as Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior is something that we can do in an instant, but following Jesus is hard. And when we make a commitment to be followers of Jesus, that can be a very hard thing. And if we factor this into that we are talking about Old Testament elders in the nation of Israel to keep the law was even harder. It would have been very tempting to look for an easier way, a simpler way, a more pleasant way to gain a deity's favor. If we turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 and look at the temptations that Satan tried to level against Jesus, we we see these things. It said, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. There's no question that Satan would have been bringing his A game to God in the flesh as he began to tempt Jesus in the flesh. And his biggest gun, his last question, was to tempt him with the quick fix. Instant gratification, giving you what you want right now without having to go through all of that crucifixion stuff. Make no mistake, we are often tempted to give a portion of our heart to something else because it's a whole lot easier than being a Christian. 
but there's something that you need to understand, and that is when we give our parts of our heart to something else, it comes with a cost. Notice the Lord's response to their divided hearts. Picking up again in verse 6, he says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all abominations. For anyone of the house of Israel, of the immigrants who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me, sets up his idols in his heart, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself, I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person. And I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from among my people so that you will know that I am the Lord. The Lord is telling him that he will not answer their questions. He will not give them the desires of their heart. He will not, he will not pretend like everything is okay, but instead he will reprove them for their sin and punish them accordingly. When they go to the Lord with their divided hearts and ask for the Lord to respond and to work and to do whatever it is that they are asked to do, he said the only thing that they will get back is the call to repent and to put their heart fully and wholly in God. Now we may be tempted to think, well, but we're in Christ now. We're Christians now, and that surely means that God is a lot more understanding and forgiving, and everything's going to be okay. God doesn't mind if I have a divided heart because he understands. And yet look what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I want you to think about this, brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to lost people in that moment. He's saying, listen, you, the church, don't think that you can say a prayer of salvation and, and get right with the Lord and then live however you want to live. And then when you stand before God, he's just going to be like, ah, come on in. We still, even as the church, will give an account for what we did with our lives and what the condition of our heart is throughout our life. Did you realize that? Your life now matters. And it matters whether you are a believer or not. How you live, how you make decisions, what you do, whether you are following the Lord with all your heart or you are dividing your heart among many other things, that will matter in the day that you see Jesus face to face. Yes, we remain His. Please be clear on that one. I am not even remotely suggesting that if you struggle with this throughout your whole life, that if you have these problems throughout that and you are constantly struggling through this, that when you come to see the Lord, that there's a chance that, that, that the Lord will say, you know what, I you became a Christian, but you didn't do a good enough job, so you, got, you don't get to be saved. He will not do that. If you belong to him, you belong to him. And please understand that. You will not be contemned to hell just because you make some mistakes and that you divide your heart out throughout your life. But you will still give an account. You will still answer for the condition of your heart. And while you may have regret that some of the things that you gave your heart to amounted to nothing, Jesus will still forgive you and take you home. 
This begs the question, what should we do? And so the answer to that question is, is we must be set free. Those portions of our heart that have been held captive by this idolatry and these stumbling blocks must be set free. I want to look again at the passage, and I want you to notice something very interesting. Verse 11 says this, in the midst of all of the punishment and the iniquity, says this, in order that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me and no longer defile themselves in all their transgressions. Thus they will be my people, and I shall be their God. Even in verse 5, when he's addressing it, he says, I'm doing all this in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are estranged from me and all their idols. Please understand that, that God's desire of even kind of addressing the fact that we have desired hearts is not to just punish us and burden us and hurt us and harm us, but rather so that we will give up those idols, take... Give up those things that are dividing our heart and come to the Lord and present him our whole heart and say, God, I have been giving parts of my heart to something else that is not worthy of my heart. And I am back now and I am repenting and I am giving my whole heart to you. That is his desire for you. And that is his desire for all of us and his desire for Israel that all of us would come to God and give him our entire heart. See, God does not desire merely a portion of our heart. He wants all of it. If we even go back to the temptation that Satan leveled towards Jesus about, I will provide to you an easy way if you will just worship me. He says this in response, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We have to come to the Lord with our whole heart and give our whole heart to Christ. This passage is a call to them and it is a call to us to cast out our idols, to repent, and to give our lives fully to Christ. That is the plea and that is the desire of even this passage today. See, that is the good news in the midst of all of this is if you're here today, and I hope that you are listening to this and you're not just saying, wow, Josh is acting really crazy today. I probably am. That's okay. But you're thinking, I do that. Jesus is really important to me on Sunday morning, but when I go to work on Monday or when I get with my friends on Tuesday or when I go hang out with the girls on Thursday... I don't even think about Jesus because I'm more caught up in this thing or that thing. I'm more caught up in my retirement or my, my 401k or my friend group or, or, or getting that promotion or whatever. I get completely absorbed by that. And I know for a fact right now as I sit here today, my heart is, is divided. And I say I'm a Christian, but I also know when I leave here today, no one will be able to tell that I'm a Christian until I come back on Sunday. I have, hopefully you're here today and you're saying, I have a divided heart. And the Bible gives you good news today. And the good news is this, you don't have to have a divided heart. Your heart doesn't have to stay divided. But there is hope. And that hope is found in the gospel, whether you're a Christian or not. If you're not a Christian and you're with me today and you're, you're here today and you're like, well, my heart's not really divided because my heart belongs to something else right now. My heart divide is, really belongs to this world and everything that's in it. I have good news for you. 
The Bible says that if you will come to Jesus, that if you will surrender your life to Jesus, if you will believe that Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave three days later, and if you will believe that and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you will give your heart to Jesus, he will take that heart. And he will forgive you of your sins and it'll be like your heart never belonged to anything else ever and you will be his and you will be saved and you will enjoy him forever. But here's the, good, here's the other good news. If you're here today and you have at some point in your life, you've given your life to Christ, but you're sitting here today and you also know that your heart has been divided up since then. And even though you said you were giving your life to Christ, you suddenly at one point said, well, I'm gonna give this part of my heart to a girlfriend or boyfriend. And I'm going to give this part of my heart to my career. And I'm going to give this part of my heart to my job. And you're recognizing that today. I have great news for you. The gospel still applies to you. And that Jesus still paid the price for you and for your sin and for your heart. And even though you might be saved, you can still go to the Lord and say, God, I told you I was going to give you my life. And I told you I was going to surrender everything to you. And I told you I was going to declare you as Lord. But since that day, I haven't been living up to that decision. And God, I just want to take a moment today and I want to repent of that sin. And Lord, I want to give my heart back to you fully. And God, I want you to heal my heart. And I want you to, to give me that laser focus I need to be living for you. And Lord, I want you to help me to, to, to show me how to keep my heart belonging to you and yet still go to work and yet still be a husband and yet still be a wife and still be a parent. Show me how I can give my heart to you and yet still do things. And God, I want to learn and I want to grow. But God, I want you to know that my heart belongs to you. And the good news of that is found in 1 John chapter 1 where he says, For he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the good news. Whether your heart completely belongs to someone else or your heart only partially belongs to someone else, if you come to the Lord today and you say, God, I have messed up. And I have given some of my heart to something else. And I have built idols in my heart. But God, I'm giving that back to you. And God, I don't want to do that anymore. And I want you now to have my whole heart again. This is the good news. Christ hears that. God hears that. And he forgives you and he restores you. And so I plead with you today. Don't leave this building with a divided heart. But surrender yourself fully, wholly to the Lord your God. And through the power of Christ, you will be restored. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you that, that we have examples like we see from Ezekiel and the elders of Israel about what it means to have a divided heart. Of God, that, that it's, it's not hard for us to, to say we love the Lord, but secretly in, in the, the recesses of our heart, we've given parts of our heart, portions of our lives to something else that's not you. God, I praise you because the good news of the gospel still applies to us even then. 
And God, I praise you because I know that if we come to you and we own up to that and we say, God, I have come to you with only part of my heart and I want you to have the rest, that you will hear that, that you will forgive us, that you will redeem us, that you will restore us and that you will make us brand new. Lord, I pray that even now you are convicting us of our divided hearts. And God, that you are moving our hearts to come to you in repentance. And God, I know I, I repent to you. God, I repent of my divided hearts and the things that, that I desire and I, and I pursue that are not you and the way that I build up idols in my own heart. And God, I repent of that. And God, I want to live for you and I want to I serve you and I want to make you known. And God, I ask for forgiveness. And God, I ask for restoration. And God, I pray that you will reveal yourself to me through your words so that I might live for you in every area of my life. So I don't have to divide my heart ever again. God, that is my prayer. And God, I pray that is the prayer of many people in this room. Lord, if there's anyone with us today that needs to give their heart to you for the first time today, Lord, I pray it will happen now. And God, may we all leave here today with our hearts fully and wholly surrendered to you. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.